judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. All right, everyone. Welcome back. Episode nine. Episode nine. 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 Like? The number, not the German word for no. Nine? <laughs> Episode nine. Yes. Are you ready? I am. Wanted to, to tell the people, though, before we get started, that we were recently guests together mm-hmm. on a podcast called It's a Phantom Thing. It was awesome. It was so much fun. We talked about the film Us. Yes. Jordan Peele. Good fun horror movie um the episode came out on november 5th november 5th yeah so a few weeks back but Mm. um if you go check out it's a fandom thing pod Mm. you can i think they're on pretty much every podcast platform as well yeah and just scroll back to their episode from november 5th and you can hear us you can hear us talk about secret underground tunnels that exist in new york city super creepy also listen to their other stuff they've got like really anything like literally it's a fandom like anything you're thinking of they've probably covered it yeah really good yeah there's there's so many good episodes and there's some like more critical episodes Mm -hmm. and some more fun episodes and the host erin has different guests or panelists on with her for each episode and so you get a variety of voices that you can listen to it's really diverse i like it yeah, I'm definitely, definitely excited that we were invited to be a part of that. We can't wait to be on another episode mm-hmm. in the future. Our fingers are crossed. Yay. <laughs> All right. What else has been going on? Um, I just finished a really good book. Okay. I want to talk about it because I also, uh, whenever I read a book, I cast it in my head and I've already like made this movie in my okay. head. It's called When No One Is Watching by Alyssa Cole. It's very similar to this other book called The Other Black Girl. And I'm going to get this author's name wrong, and I'm sorry in advance, but it's Zakaya Dalla, no, Zakaya Dahlia Harris. So it's got that same black girl energy vibe. It's really good. So the book is a thriller set in Brooklyn. That's all I will say. It's okay. very, very good. And in my head, I picture as there's two leads. There's a, a black woman and a white guy. And I picture Issa Rae and... Seth Rogen, and it would be done as like a dark comedy. Okay. I'm thinking about tweeting this to Issa Rae. Do it. Who knows if she'll see it, but yeah. like she's got a production company, and I, I, like, I need this like in film. It's just so good. Okay. Is this good. the one that you said reminded you of something else that my sister had? The other black girl, Brooke. I meant to text you about this. Um, <laughs> so now you're hearing it on yes. the pod. <laughs> now you're hearing it on the pod. Or if you don't listen, you'll never know. Oh, no. She listens. She listens. Okay. But yeah, it, it, the book is called The Other Black Girl. So it's in. it's got a very similar vibe. Okay. And I loved it. And my husband loved it. He listened to it first. And he was just like, every day, did you finish it? Did you finish it? Can we talk about it? And I was just like, relax all right but then i was like i see i see your energy because it was really good (laughs) so i can request that audiobook from the library then you can i got it i waited maybe like three weeks for it all right that's fine i don't mind waiting for audiobooks are you reading anything good i am actually in the middle of ender's game which is kind of weird because they know it's nothing new even the film adaptation is nothing new 
And I know that there are issues about the author being problematic, I think, but I'm not looking into that until after I finish reading it because I don't want that to taint my understanding Stop of the it, yeah. book. But I will look at that after I finish reading. Uh, but my copy's from the library, so, it, you know, not giving him any more money than he already had. <laughs> but it's actually, it's the second book in in what's being called the Co- Coach Beards Book Club. Um, it's a Ted Lasso thing. It is, but... <sighs> listen... I'm not even going to ask you to watch it. I don't even care if you watch it. I just want to talk about it. Everybody with their Ted Lasso. No, I won't. The more people hype it up, the less. Yeah, I've given up. I'm like the opposite of Tinkerbell. Like, I don't even care. Too many applause. I I can't. More for me. More Ted Lasso for me. That's how that works. (laughs) It totally is. (laughs) I said it before and I'll say it again. Um, No, but basically, in one of the early episodes, Ted Lasso's as the coach character, he gives all the players a different book mm-hmm. as a gift. And each title is curated to who he, he thinks they are and what Aww. he's sort of expecting from them. So this is a book that he gave to my favorite character, Sam Obisanya. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just reading it with that idea of like, why would Ted have given this book to this character? Like, what was he thinking of and expecting for him? So that's, that's how I'm enjoying cool. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So you don't have I'll to watch the have show, it. but let me have the book. Yes, that's actually really cool. <laughs> um, the reason we talk about books that we're reading right now is because we're doing something that we did back in episode four. Mm-hmm. We're returning to a fictional character for our next big reputation. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, we're going to visit another fictional character. This time we're going to talk about Miss Lydia Bennett from Jane Austen's novel Pride and Prejudice. We will give a little summary of the book and the author and then discuss how Lydia is represented in the novel and certain film adaptations and how she is perceived by her sisters, her parents, and society. Yeah, and then we're going to talk about some of the reasons Lydia might have acted the way she did. Perhaps consider what might have been going on in her head, but more importantly, how society and those around her affected her decisions in life. And finally, we'll wrap up with what we think Lydia represents when we look beyond her categorization as a silly teenage girl. So about the book, again, it's called Pride and Prejudice. It was published in 1813. Damn, that's a long time ago. Yeah. It was the second book published by Jane Austen, although it was the third written by her. It's both a romantic novel and a satire. Isn't romance sometimes satire, though? I mean, right. she does it well if you if you think of it as both for her. So the book primarily focuses on the character of Elizabeth Bennet, the second sister of five. Throughout the book, Elizabeth learns about the consequences of judging others and comes to appreciate the difference between goodness on the surface and true goodness of an individual. Now, the Bennet family has five sisters, and anybody who knows me knows I'm a sucker for stories about sisters and especially five sisters. Now, I have more than five sisters at this point, but I grew up with four of them, so there were five of us together, and I always kind of liked the idea of us as, like, the Bennett sisters, and I always tried to put each of us in one of the roles, which... Did they like that? Go listen to Why Do We Read This episode on uh, Pride and Prejudice. I actually had the four other sisters on with me, and we talked about this. And we definitely do not agree on who's who. (laughs) But there are no sons in this family. And, um, you know, of course, just like when we were talking about Anne Boleyn, there's sexism everywhere. Basically, Mr. Bennett's estate can only be passed to a male heir. 
So basically his wife and daughters are screwed when he dies unless they marry well. I don't understand how that was legal at any point in time. Well, only a man could own property. A woman couldn't own property. And so he had to hand it down to a male heir. And his male heir in this case was like a second cousin twice removed bullshit. That's bullshit. It should have been like a male heir unless you don't have any. Then it goes to your wife because she also fucking lives here. Like, I just think that's preposterous. I mean, I'm not arguing with you on that. It's just it was or that way. You need to like make a stipulation in the law that like if this goes to the next male heir and he's like a second cousin twice removed he's obligated to take care of that family like you can't just leave them in the streets well so the plot originally was to marry one of the daughters off to this second cousin twice removed thing they're not like that closely related they're not like they probably didn't even know each other and honestly think about england in the 19th no no they didn't they're not cousins okay they're like I don't even remember how the second cousin twice removed nonsense works, yeah. but but if you have the same grandma, you should not be touching each other. <laughs> That's the rule. <laughs> okay, good to know. Establish <laughs> these boundaries. Yeah, yeah, but you know it was the 19th century, and these gals they they want to marry for love, but you know that's not always the best choice. So that's a big plot line in the novel, marrying for love rather than money or social prestige. Although, bonus points if you can do both. Why not both? Yeah. And is that our slogan? <laughs> <laughs> definitely is. We, that's going to be our next t-shirt. Sam? <gasps> yes. Sam, are you listening? <laughs> Why not both? Pride and Prejudice is one of the most popular novels in English literature. It's sold over 20 million copies. While that's not even in the top 50 of books sold worldwide, it's still pretty impressive. It's also been adapted numerous times as film, TV, and more. It has countless spin-off novels and unofficial sequels. There are literally hundreds of literary spin-offs and adaptations and books inspired by the novel. But some of the most notable ones include Mr. Darcy's Daughters by Elizabeth Aston, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies by Seth Graham Smith, Letters from Pemberley by Jane Dawkins, Longborn by Joe Baker, Joe Baker, the name of the sister and little woman. Um, I don't remember what their last name was. I mean, Joe was definitely yeah. one of the sisters. And she was a writer. Oh, no, their last name was March. Damn. I was going to say, if I was right, you have to leave it in. But now you can do whatever you want with it. <laughs> now I'll leave it in. No. <laughs> Bridget Jones' Diary by Helen Fielding. Yes. And notable film and TV adaptations include... The 1940 Academy Award-winning film Pride and Prejudice, starring Greer Garson and Laurence Olivier. I mean, Laurence Olivier, he was like the sexy mofo of his time, right? I don't remember. I think I only remember him as an old man. Oh, that's fair. Hmm. Uh, The 2005 film adaptation, starring Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden. Fadian? Matthew McFadden. McFadden. McFadden? Why is there a Why? Silent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which was a 2012-2013 YouTube web series, which was created by Hank Green and Bernie Sue. Hank Green. I haven't watched that one yet, but I do appreciate the Green Brothers, so I would check it out. And of course, my personal favorite, the 1995 miniseries starring Jennifer Ella and Colin Firth, who is and always will be for me the only Mr. Darcy. I mean, it's like 
people who say that Robert Downey Jr. and Tony Stark are basically the same person. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel about Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy. Like, hmm. they, he just is. And, you know, fun fact, the Bridget Jones's Diary that you mentioned before, also a film adaptation. Yeah. And Colin Firth is also in that. Have you seen him in a sweater? Batman can wear a sweater. He he can wear whatever. He's Colin Firth. I'm okay <laughs> with it. <laughs> so a little bit about the author. Jean Austen was an English novelist who was born December 1775 and died July 1817. And that's not very old. Like, think no. about it. Well, like, I mean, look when she was born. Like, what, 1775? What What did they have then? I think they had stuff. Polio. That's why. The reason, there, yeah. So, fun fact, the reason why the average lifespan of humans at this time was so low is because they lost so many babies. But once you made it past mm-hmm. infanthood, the lifespan uh, for humans is very similar to what it is today. It was maybe just really? a few years younger. So what happened to her? Uh, I don't remember, but I mean, she wasn't even, she was just, what, what is that? 42? She was only in her forties though. Yeah. But in the time that she was here, she published four books, Sense and Sensibility in 1811, today's novel, Pride and Prejudice in 1813, Mansfield Park in 1814, and Emma in 1816, all of which have been made into movies at one point or the other. Now, Persuasion and Northanger Abbey were two additional novels that she wrote, which were published posthumously. Interestingly, Northanger Abbey was actually her first completed novel in 1803. It just wasn't published until much later. And you can tell uh, Northanger Abbey has a very different vibe to it. It's much more in the... It's got many more ties with the Gothic traditions that Mm. came before um, with that sort of creepy, like, go into a house and there's, like, a mystery and is it a ghost or is it not or... I love that. Yeah. Well, if you're going to check out old 19th century white people novels, start with Northern Drabby, I guess. (laughs) Maybe. I'll see see if it's at the library. (laughs) Uh, She also had a seventh novel that she was working on, Sandition, but... It remained incomplete at the time of her death. Her novels generally address the dependence of women on marriage and the pursuit of economic security and favorable social standing. In particular, it was a challenge to this way of life. You know, I meant we mentioned before that it was a satirical book in some mm-hmm. aspects, and that's what it is. She's calling attention to these issues. When it came to her writing style, she blended irony with realism, humor, and social commentary, like you said. So she used that to critique the novels of sensibility from the second half of the 18th century. Her works are generally considered part of the transition to the 19th century literary realism. And of course, there's so much more that can be said about her, but we're not talking about Austen's big reputation today. We're focusing on, instead, the youngest of the sisters in her novel, Pride and Prejudice. Lydia Bennett, the youngest of the five Bennett sisters. The others are Jane, Elizabeth, Mary, and Catherine, or Kitty, as she's known. I think that's the funnest nickname. Kitty? Kitty, yeah. Like, I know people who are named Catherine, and they call them Katie, but, like, what a missed opportunity for Kitty. (laughs) Kitty Cat. No, like Kitty Foreman. (laughs) Oh, Kitty Catherine Cat. It's a a spelling thing. I know, it's just so cute, Kitty. Lydia is only 15 years old when the novel begins, and she turns 16 before she runs off with Mr. Wickham. 
There's more said about her than either Mary or Kitty. And actually, honestly, probably more than is mentioned about those other two combined. The protagonist is Elizabeth. And then her closest sister is Jane. And then the other sisters kind of get written in there. And as I can't remember which one it was, I think it might have been Ashley when we did the episode on Pride and Prejudice together. uh, She said, I don't think... Jane Austen knew how to write more than two sisters. Like Jane Austen herself only mm. had one sister and oh, she yeah. didn't know how to write the dynamic of five sisters and how they would be like the fact that they can all get along and they can all fight with one another. And it's not just like these two or these two or, you know, she only wrote about like two of them at a time. Most of the time. I feel like maybe that was her wheelhouse. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And she was trying to do something different than mm-hmm. just write. Like Sense and Sensibility has two sisters. It's probably hard to get those dynamics right if you're not part of a larger family like that. Yeah. I don't know how to write about being an only child. <laughs> I, I would never know how to write about being a sibling. I, they would all just do the same thing. I, guess. <laughs> I don't know. Like, what do you guys do? Sleepovers? Make cookies? <laughs> Steal each other's clothes. Oh, that happened. I mean, not by me, because mm-hmm. I was a different size than everyone else. But they used... To, well, that's not true. I used to steal Jill's clothes sometimes. <laughs> She's like eight years younger than me. <laughs> Seven years, eight years younger than me. But yeah, there was definitely some stealing of clothes. Or some un- unofficial borrowing, mm-hmm. if you will. That's called stealing. <laughs> No, when you live in the same house, it's fair is fair. It was out there. I was folding laundry. I needed a black sweater. You had a black sweater. It just happened. Ugh, no. I'm good with my only childness. (laughs) Let's go back to the earlier episodes and you're like, I wish I had sisters. Not if I have to, like, share my wardrobe with you. And you're not going to ask? No. I mean, growing up, like I said, this was never an issue for me because Mm -hmm. I... I was also a lot more like tomboyish in my clothing choices than my other sisters were. So So you didn't have anything they wanted. No, I didn't have anything (laughs) they wanted. Anyway, let's get into how Lydia is portrayed by the author. The novel is told in a third person omniscient point of view. So basically the narrator knows everything. While we do get to know a little bit about each person's thoughts, the novel focuses primarily on Elizabeth's perspective. This is important to keep in mind as we talk about how Lydia is perceived by those around her. It also seems like our narrator is kind of against Lydia from the start. Hater. Unlike a parent who isn't supposed to play favorites, our narrator clearly does, and honestly, the parents do too. Mm -hmm. Um, Elizabeth is the narrator's favorite, then Jane, and then, well... The other two, Mary and Kitty, are basically afterthoughts. And Lydia is described multiple times in a in a less than flattering manner. Right? She's actually described as silly and ignorant, vain, idle, and absolutely uncontrolled, hmm. and untamed, unabashed, wild, noisy, and fearless. And of course, you know, a woman needs to be fearful. So I was going to say, I was like, those all sound bad except for that last one. Actually, they don't sound bad. They don't. I like most like, of them. Fuck being tamed. Again, what is this like burn book that's happening for these women? Yeah. Who's writing this? Well, Jane Austen is, but <laughs> Jane Austen is writing this. But again, we, we do want to remember that she is she is critical of society at this time anyway. Mm-hmm. So 
Well, she might not sympathize with Lydia, and while she writes it in a point of view where Lydia is kind of looked down upon for her actions, mm-hmm. I think a lot of that has to be considered as the lens of the 19th century. Yeah, it's like commentary. Yeah. So in film adaptations, she's always the one that's the most grating of the sisters. She really comes across as embodying these words that we just mentioned. She seems selfish and careless and also unaware of the world around her. So when you look up the Cliff Notes or the Sparks Notes version, like like I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> you haven't read the novel seven times like I have. No. And even in school when I was supposed to read it, I was like, hmm. It was assigned for school? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we had Jane Eyre assigned to us, uh, which is by Bronte. Mm-hmm. But I never had Pride and Prejudice assigned to me. I just read it on my own because it was like, ooh, five sisters. I'm mm-hmm. going to read this. It was like on a list of things. Like you had to read like four books out of like ten or whatever. Sure. And I was just like, mm, this one, no. But the Cliff Notes is available. So <laughs> let's go with it. So like in any Cliff Notes, you're going to see these same descriptions. She'll be described as emotional and immature. Lydia is the is the daughter who takes the most after the mother. Lydia's misbehavior stems from a lack of parental supervision on the parts of both her mother and her father. Her marriage to Wickham represents a relationship that is based in physical gratification. And that's basically it. Lydia doesn't think she simply acts upon her impulses. And that impulsiveness combined with negligent parents leads to her near ruin. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff we get from the cliff notes. Like it just sort of looking at it from the same perspective Mm -hmm. as our narrator and maybe some of our characters. You know, the narrator also describes Lydia as someone who has high animal spirits and a sort of natural self-consequence. Like, what? What does that mean? She's got, like, cat energy? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Big cat energy. (laughs) She's a, a, a... tiger or something i I feel like that just means like she's got poor impulse control like you like a dog's a dog you know yeah that's how they're gonna behave or you know like a 15 year old but but it's also seen as like she's sort of strengthened this into what comes across as a Mm self-assurance maybe it is maybe it isn't because we don't really get inside of her head but speculation is that this is jane austen's way of pointing out the characteristics of some of the naive debutantes of her era and satirizing them So basically, she takes all of the most negatively perceived characteristics of girls and young women of that era and wraps them up into Lydia. Rather than making five well-rounded sisters, it's like she makes one and a half well-rounded sisters and three and a half characters that fit stereotypes. And I I would have to agree with that because I think the the half bit is that we get some development from Jane, the Mm -hmm. oldest of the sisters. But she's also portrayed as virtually flawless, and that's not terribly realistic no. either. So Jane is just like this. She's like, I'm doing all the things right. Right. But like, that's not realistic. Like, you're not. Well, to the point that she suffers consequences, like, she goes a long time. So she's really into this guy, Bingley, mm-hmm. and Bingley's into her. And Bingley. Well, that's his last name, Mr. Bingley. And there's this whole thing where they, like, like each other, but they're both too proper to, like, take any steps and then there's like oh well if he did like me and then his sisters kind of get in and they're like the me 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 type characters who are like we don't like Lydia and we don't like the mother so we're gonna try and keep our sister away from our brother because we think she's just gonna be bad news blah 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 it's there's so much drama yeah it's so much drama so you know I would say 
two of the characters are pretty developed. Elizabeth is fully developed and Jane is mostly developed, but she's not not all the way. Lydia is described as strong, healthy, well-grown young woman. She has a fine complexion and is good-humored in nature. She describes herself as the tallest of the five sisters, even though she's the youngest. In terms of her personality, she's basically described as her mother's mini-me. Like, at least, at the very least, she's the mother's favorite. And, like, how messed up is that? Choosing a favorite and people knowing it. I'm the favorite daughter in my family, my mom tells people. Yeah. I, well, I'm my dad's favorite daughter, so <laughs> that works for me, too, but... Yeah. <laughs> her mother, who has also who's always spoiled her, encourages her behaviors and uses the words like cheerfulness, jolliness, and flirtatiousness to describe Lydia's disposition. The narrator gives us the impression that Lydia is just a silly girl who's a bit delusional when it comes to her importance in society. But we also see Lydia making fun of others. Like she mocks them, laughs at them, gloats when they lose at you know, at games or even with men. And she seems to find pleasure in the suffering of others. She's generally not sensitive to the feelings of others. At least that's kind of what it comes across as. You know, maybe she's a bit defensive. Who knows? Maybe she's just impulsive. Am I, Lydia? Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think you're a Lydia. I was like, I you mean, took really long to answer. But so to be I fair, like, no, to be fair, <laughs> when we're 15 years old, I think many oh, yeah. of us... For sure. Like when I was 20, that sounds like me. Okay. Yeah. It's clear that Lydia lives in the moment, right? She focuses on her own enjoyments and pleasures and is pretty wrapped up in herself. YOLO. Sure. (laughs) Things like clothing, parties, and flirting are really at the top of her list for the things that she enjoys in life. Again, 15. Yeah, right? And she has the privilege of being able to enjoy these things without thinking about them too much or too deeply, right? She doesn't have to worry about things. It's just... That's the way it is. Yeah. So she doesn't think about the past much or even the future unless it's thinking about which officer she's going to marry. And later, after she runs off with Wickham, it seems like she doesn't even care for the reputation of her family. And running off with a man who you weren't married to is definitely going to affect the reputation and the status of you and your family. Yes. It could even lead to her sisters not being able to marry well or at all because of the scandal that this would bring to the family. And that's what I was talking about with, with Bingley, right? Like the mm-hmm. sisters were like, oh, your sister's this way. Yeah, like we, don't we, think- can't, we can't associate with you. Yeah, or we don't trust that you're not going to be like her too. Mm-hmm. So we see that Lydia struggles or maybe doesn't even bother with keeping secrets and that just like her mother, she's a bit of a gossip. In terms of her relationships with her sisters, we see that she kind of bullies Kitty, who, while older than Lydia, is generally willing to do Lydia's bidding. She doesn't listen to her older sisters, Jane and Elizabeth, and she basically dismisses Mary altogether. Although, to be honest, Austin doesn't give Mary much page time either. She's just like this extra sister who's there. I mean, why she's like even? the she's like the book sister the one who like goes off and reads and isn't interested in romantic relationships and it's just like it just seems like why make five sisters then like if you weren't gonna like properly flesh them all out yes this is an argument that that we had in, in the why do we read this episode mm-hmm. as well like yeah that was a, it was a really good point it was something i had never thought about but it yeah it's not like you needed to like have a placeholder like it's a book if Right. You just leave it out. Yeah. 
weird. Maybe they were like, her publishers were like, we need five. <laughs> we won't pay you unless there's five. She's like, do something different. It's always two sisters, two sisters, two sisters. You want more sisters? Here's five sisters. Take this book. <laughs> So since her priorities are things like shopping and socializing and spending a lot of time flirting with the different officers of the militia and trying to attract their attention, when she runs off with Wickham, she truly believes that he loves her and wishes to marry her. And it's only then when Mr. Darcy basically pays off Wickham to marry her that the two wed and thus prevent some great scandal from befalling the Bennett family. (laughs) Yeah, it's... I mean, but again, think about... Think about being 15 or mm-hmm. even nowadays, like 18 or you said 20, you 20, know, yeah. like, oh, but he really loves me. Like, we've been there. Yeah. Lydia's not the only one. Your feelings are always so much bigger when yeah. you're younger. Like, you've got more feelings and less logic. All right. So let's dig a little bit below the surface, a.k.a. my defense of Lydia Bennett. Do it. Honestly... As we mentioned, Lydia is not a very well-developed character, although she is certainly more developed than Mary or Kitty. Mm, Poor Kitty. (laughs) As readers, we only know a little bit about her, and yet we, like those around her in the novel, are seemingly content to accept that there's nothing more about her to know. She's just a silly little girl. No one expects anything of Lydia, at least nothing more than the stereotype she's been assigned. Readers and characters alike give her little credit and even mock her. As a character, she does seem to have no growth. I mean, nothing is expected of her. We get nothing. So it wouldn't be surprising that she doesn't grow out of any of these traits. Lydia Bennett never has a chance to become more than a stereotype. She's unable to escape the influences of her parents, her sisters, society, and even the patriarchy in general. And again, she's just a teenager. Like, I know many people say, oh, back in the day, they got married early and all that. But no, like I looked it up. And in England in 1813, and this is the year the book was published, Mm -hmm. the legal age of consent for marriage was 21. That seems really old for, like, what I would think. Well, because we're used to 18. Yeah. Or even, like, there are some states that have, like, 14. Yeah, well, that's not okay either. No. But I'm surprised that it's older. Like, way to go. Good for you. The law was changed in 1823, so 10 years after this novel was written, Mm -hmm. so that Women could marry younger, but the average age for marriage was between 18 and 23, especially in the upper classes, which is where the Bennett family is, you know, they're kind of upper middle class. The girls would be debutantes around 17 or 18, so Lydia was young for coming out into society, right? Like this whole going out and dancing Mm -hmm. and whatever. So whose fault is this? The mother and the father. Yeah, I feel like it's parents and, like, society. <laughs> what is happening over there? Have you ever seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Yeah, it's creepy. It's the, the part the where... Oompa yeah, yeah, but the part specifically where the, the girl who says, like, I want it more and the golden egg, yeah. and she goes down the things, and then the Oompa yeah. Loompa sing their song, and they're like, you know, who's the one to blame? And the answer is, the mother and the father. My brother and I loved that. We would be like, see, see, parents, it's, this is, it's your fault that if we don't behave. <laughs> there is a funny spoof on that song from Family Guy. They're going to a factory and there's a character who's in a wheelchair 
And the Oompa Loompas sing, like, there's no wheelchair ramp to get into this place. Oh, no. And the Oompa Loompas are like, where is this man that you call God? Don't you think his absence rather odd? And it's hysterical. <laughs> it's so funny. And every once in a while, it does pop into my head. Like, that version, not the... Not the actual version. Oompa Loompa, Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So the parents, the parents. Yeah. Sidebar nation. Um, <laughs> go watch that episode of Family Guy. So her parents suck. Like there's a serious lack of guidance here in the Bennett household. The older girls seem to escape the negative consequences of this, at least, at least relative to the younger sisters. But there are things that they could have learned if they, you know, let's say had a governess to teach them, like homeschooling gone wrong. Yeah, it definitely is. Even Lydia's parents don't see her as someone to be nurtured and cared for, but she's like somebody's wife-to-be. She's like a dowry. Ugh. Well, and that's the thing, because the mother doesn't have much of an inheritance, so if the mm-hmm. father dies and they lose the house and there's so little inheritance from the mother, there's like they're fucked. They're like, we need to make money, and the daughter's the only way to do it. And And the mother knows this, and she's constantly trying to marry them off and marry Lydia off even. To different men in high positions. Like, she's only 15, and you wouldn't think they'd be pushing for her to get married, but they, and they are more concerned about Jane and Elizabeth getting mm-hmm. married. Jane's like 23, so, huh, she's on that tail end of the acceptable well, it's age. What's taken her so long? It's gonna be an old maid because to live in a shoe. She and Bingley don't communicate very well. Hmm. You know, and honestly, like, the father, he's so indifferent. It's kind of like the mean girl's father. I feel like the fathers are all written that way. <laughs> he's just like, I don't even know. They'll figure it out. Yeah, you know, I think he was good with Jane, you know, mm-hmm. having a daughter born born first, whatever. And then when Elizabeth was also a girl, he tried to raise her as he might have done with a son. Why? Like, he taught her to read and to, like, be sort of more philosophical. than. So she kind of had more of that. Only men can do those things. Yeah, well... She was his favorite. These parents definitely played favorites. We love you the most, so we're going to teach you about important things. But I also think, right, like, at child number two, when it wasn't a boy, you're just like, okay, well, like, I want to have a son to teach these things, so I'm Mm going to teach it to this daughter. But the other one is too old now, because she's, like, three. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But... She can't learn about these philosophical concepts. She's three. It's too late. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I think he just gave up after that when more and more daughters were born. He's like, fucking hell. What am I supposed to do? (laughs) Another daughter? Like, listen, by now scientists knew. Wait, did they? No. What did I say in the last episode? 18. I don't know. Something. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't. But it doesn't matter. He stayed married. He didn't divorce or behead his wife or turn her into a sister so he could have another wife oh the bar is so low for men (laughs) (laughs) this guy was great because he didn't have her killed (laughs) yep yep i hear it now i hear it (laughs) oh yeah so basically the mother is just as immature as lydia herself right yeah I mean, she really is. She's like the mother is probably one of the most grating characters in the in the book, I think. And the fact that they allow their daughters out into society for marriage when they're so young doesn't seem to work out well for them either. Both of her parents fail to give her the tools to overcome the pressures of society that places values on these trivial things. 
But of course, she's the one who gets punished for never learning what's supposed, what she's supposed to learn. Put that in air quotes. Mm-hmm. To be out in society as a young woman in her social position. Yeah. Yeah. Parents, you got to teach kids well. Anyway. They're the future. Isn't that a whole song? <laughs> yes. I believe the children are the future. Teach them well and let, let them lead, lead the way. way. Whitney. It's Whitney. She should be on the She's she on the list. She is on the list. She is on the list. We'll get to her. Yes. Anyway, let's talk about sisters. You know, Lydia gets a bad rap. She's our big reputation here. But she's not that different from her sisters in some ways. Like, let's take a look at Jane. Both Jane and Lydia are naive. Elizabeth even calls Jane out for only seeing the good in others and believing in the positive intentions of others. <laughs> even Wickham. Like, Wickham is a dick. <laughs> He just really is. He's the literal worst. And Jane is always trying to say, like, oh, well, maybe, but perhaps, right, trying to find the good in people. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, Lydia has already been coded as silly and Jane as sensible. So we look at Lydia's naivety as a fault, but Jane's as a virtue. And that's pretty fucked up. Suspect. Not suspect. So when it comes to Lydia and Kitty, Kitty. I love that. I can obsess with it. Sorry. When it comes to Lydia and Kitty, they aren't too different when it comes to being silly. Yeah. They're both young. Honestly, what teenagers can't be a little bit silly. I mean, I'm sure there's a few, and it's not shocking that these two are. The only difference is that Kitty is quiet, is a quiet kind of silly, while Lydia is a loud, brazen, rambunctious kind of silly. Yeah. And and honestly, again, keep quiet. Mm-hmm. Be sensible. Be a Jane. Be a Kitty. You'd be fine. Be like a Lydia. People, people like it when you're when you're funny, but like not, not too, too funny. funny. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, women aren't funny, right? Isn't that the whole thing? Not allowed. <laughs> Elizabeth and Lydia both fall for Wickham. Mm-hmm. His smooth ways have them both convinced that he's the good guy. Can you hear the oh, sarcasm? Yeah. The good guy. Um, <laughs> that he cares for them. That he's honest and nice and true. He sounds like a real fuck boy, actually. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good way to put it. But he's also just a liar and a manipulative piece of shit. Like he's, so, so fuck boy. Yeah, but like worse. I don't know. But yes. So Elizabeth is contemplating what it would be like to marry Wickham. She just didn't run off with him, largely because of her fear of doing something socially unacceptable. But because she has the maturity to recognize that it's not that simple. Yeah. So again, this is these are and I don't we don't mention Mary here because Mary, again, doesn't get much page time. Mary blank page. <laughs> but Lydia has something in common with her other sisters mm-hmm. and and yet they're not seen in the same light that she is. Right. I mean, when we talk about the education of these girls, none of them have had a formal education. And it seems mm. that like the mother was probably unqualified to really be the one to give them During that education. Homeschooling, yeah. Yeah. It's like homeschooling in the state of New Jersey. I don't think you need like certain permissions. Like you don't have to prove certain things. I don't know. Weird. You know, if they'd had a governess, a governess would have been able to show them sort of the ins and outs of society, teach them certain things that the parents don't. And also has specifically been paid to dedicate all of her time Mm -hmm. to raising these children. 
you know, not having a formal education will likely have them a bit more immature in ways of the world, and it would leave them more dependent on men. They're not getting any property. Mm-hmm. So what? They're just going to be like tricked into marrying the first man who comes around? Yes. Well, not quite, but yes. <laughs> For most of them, except Lydia. Lydia's flaws are a product of society and of her environment. She was raised in a society that values ma- marriage, not intelligence. So how can we be shocked that she's more interested in flirting with the officers than reading books? Like It was set up that way for her. Elizabeth is favored by her father for her reading and all of that. Likely a sign of hoping for a son with his second child and raising her like one in a certain extent. And, you know, again, giving up on the last three. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It was already girls. over for him. <laughs> She has never been given anything important to think about or to do. Society sees her as nothing but an object. She sees no reason to challenge this. She's been trained to be a good wife rather than an intelligent individual with agency. Mm-hmm. Lydia is the one penalized for not knowing what she's never learned. Like, the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> well, think about when we were talking about Sintoya Brown and how, mm-hmm. like... It was just expected that when she reached a certain age, she was supposed to magically know yeah, you how to behave you. this, that, and the other way. It's like, no, she was a child. Mm-hmm. Lydia's a child. But, like, you only know what you know. And you only know what you're told at that age. Especially if you're not going out and deciding and learning it from someone else. You're learning it from your parents. Like, mm-hmm. they handed or her this, like, terrible Or not even learning deck. from her parents, right? Like, her parents aren't really teaching yeah. her. They're just kind of like, oh... We're just going to let you have a free-for-all. Mm-hmm. But they didn't give her the tools, so she was basically destined to fail. Mm-hmm. Honestly, Lydia's a victim of the patriarchy. I'll say it a million times, and I'll probably say it about every woman we cover. Because <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it really is, just like with all women in this time. But she serves as an example to those who are unable to rise above it, right? Mm-hmm. Some people grow out of their childish behaviors or are able to challenge the patriarchy. Like, Elizabeth challenges the patriarchy in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Lydia challenges it in her own ways, but she's never really able to overcome it. She falls victim to the traps of the patriarchy. Yeah, the patriarchy basically prevents her from engaging in anything like politics or having a job or managing money. You know, she doesn't have a wallet. She doesn't have any pockets. (laughs) What's she supposed to do? Her options are to attend balls, gossip, and visit her friends, and, of course, find a husband. So, as Emma McGrory states in her Medium article, The Real Lydia Bennett, and I love this article, It is common in society, even today, to view the wrongs of women as more serious than those of men, and to blame women even when they are the victim. I mean... That's basically like the point of this whole podcast, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Like to point out when this happens, which is basically like always. (laughs) Every every third Tuesday. Yeah. Always. And what's most fucked up is that Wickham is almost immediately forgiven for his so-called indiscretion, right? Because with a man, it's just an indiscretion. Mm -hmm. Because he goes through with marrying her. You know, of course, this is after negotiating with Mr. Darcy and basically being strong-armed into it. But Mrs. Bennett basically considers him a hero because he married us. her. Yeah. Yeah. But Lydia? No. That stigma stays with her. And Mr. Bennett basically gets Wickham a job far away so that Lydia can't be a bad influence on her sisters. 
Like, send her away. Like, yeah, you're married, but mm, you fucked up. So go live in the North. And on top of that, he doubles down with this discipline of Kitty. He won't let her visit her sister. He won't let her go away for a season like Lydia did because he knows what could happen. Mm-hmm. Basically, it seems that Austin is telling us that the problem is not Lydia or the women like her, but with society and the condemnation of women who make their own decisions and praise and honor men like Wickham. Yeah, society's the one that's fucked. Mm-hmm. Austin actually gives the sister Mary an important line about this. You know, Mary. Here that's she, what she was there for. She was there for this one line. <laughs> Mary says, unhappy as the event must be for Lydia, we must draw from it this useful lesson. That loss of virtue in a female is irretrievable. That one false step involves her in endless ruin. That her reputation is no less brittle than it is beautiful. And that she cannot be too much guarded in her behavior towards the undeserving of the other sex. So, in other words, women suffer all the consequences of an action involving a man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, isn't that's what this is about, isn't it? Yeah. Always. <laughs> And here it is important to recall that Pride and Prejudice is satirical in nature, right? So Mary Mary does serve a purpose in that regard. You know, she comes in with that, like, one-liner in, mm-hmm. the, in the end there. So we can suspect that Austin doesn't agree with this assessment of, like, that women should lose their virtue mm-hmm. or that their virtue is irretrievable. You know, but she knows that it's true it's going to happen even if it shouldn't. Yeah. So while Lydia does not display the traits most commonly connected with feminism and feministic characters in this point of time, it's possible that her experiences exemplify Austin's feminist ideals. Like a woman could just run off and live as she wished without permission from anyone else. She basically serves as a reminder that sexism is dangerous as fuck and destructive for women. Yeah. And, you know, this is the 19th century, the early 19th century. Mm -hmm. It's a big deal to, to write this way and create these characters. They probably thought she was a witch. I don't know about the witch culture in England. I mean, I'm sure there was one. I don't doubt that for a second, but I don't know what it is. Uh, Maybe she was too rich to be a witch. Mm. They were just like, oh, she's educated. She's a rich witch. (laughs) (laughs) Rich bitch. Rich witch. Rich bitch witch. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) I broke her. (laughs) Anyway. In the novel, Lydia leaves her summer guardian, Mr. Mrs. Forster, uh, a letter. Now, Mrs. Forster is like, she's Mrs. Forster, but she's mm. probably like 18 or something. She's not like, she's, just a baby. she's another kid. So she leaves this, this letter with Mrs. Forster when she runs off with Wickham. And she writes that she wants to surprise her family with the fact that she got married. She says she thinks it will be a laugh if she just writes them and signs it as Mrs. Wickham. That's ridiculous. But, like, given her past actions, like, and the perception of her family, like, this seems plausible. Like, this could be believable. They'd be like, oh, yeah, there goes Lydia doing her ridiculous stuff again. But if it ended in marriage, be fine. But honestly, she probably did it because if her family doesn't know, they can't try and stop her. By running off with Wickham, she basically declares that she is the power over her future, her marriage, and not her father. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, Lydia's an example of a woman taking power of her own life when women were, in essence, powerless. Mm -hmm. Maybe her way is scandalous to other women, and it seems to be to her family and friends and, you know, her father and society and Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. But she knew Wickham would have to marry her once they ran off. 
that's just the way it goes. I mean, sure, she trapped him, and I am not down with that. <laughs> just not. Trickery. But she never learned another way, or that doing that would eventually lead to a real shitty marriage. Like, at the end of the book, they're like, yeah, they kind of just resigned themselves to the fact that they were stuck with each other. This is our lives now. Basically. Or he could have her beheaded. Um, I think we're talking like 300 <laughs> years later, so. Honestly, Lydia may have failed in the happily ever after department, but for better or for worse... She did it her own way. So what do we take away from this? I think that there are so many adaptations and spinoffs and novels about this character. It just lets us know that other people were feeling the same way. But she isn't fleshed out enough. People were compelled to write more. Yeah, I mean, not all of them are about her, but there's Mm -hmm. definitely some that focus on her as well. Are there any that focus on Mary? I don't know, but there should be. Yeah, let's find one. Let's write it. What about you? Honestly, well, the portrayals of Lydia in film and the perceptions of her in the novel held by her sisters and the narrator leave me, like, really annoyed with her. Mm -hmm. Like, honestly, I adore the Colin Firth version of Mr. Darcy, but the, the young woman who plays Lydia does a fantastic job of being annoying. Yeah, she really (laughs) sells it. But I have to remember that she's 15. Yeah. She has time to grow up. And even if she doesn't, it's because she never learned how. She's never given those tools. But also, I kind of love her determination. Like, she's not ashamed. Mm -hmm. She doesn't carry shame on what she's done. She stands strong in her convictions. And I don't think she deserves to be condemned. Yeah. In fact, loving family support is Probably what she needs the most in her life mm-hmm. at the point that the novel ends. I I don't know. Like, yeah, she's annoying, but she's 15. Wh- yeah. We got to teach her how to not be annoying. Mm-hmm. And give her a little bit of grace. Like, Instead of just giving up on her. Yeah, like, she's oh, she 15. fucked up once. The end. Yeah. Like, this one's broken now. Get rid of it. Ugh. Yeah. All right. So a few resources and references that we would encourage you to check out um, if you're interested in learning more about Lydia and maybe sympathizing with her or taking a look at how Austen writes Five Sisters together. Mm -hmm. You can check out the novel itself, Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. You can also watch the miniseries because Colin Firth. Yes. That's available on HBO Max and Amazon Prime right now. Yeah, so 2021. What are we, November 2021? Can't promise if you're listening to this episode five years in the future because you know welcome what's the world like (laughs) can you still email us can you still email us (laughs) how are the polar gaps what social media are we using now are we all on meta are we in no also meta meta feels to me like do you ever read ready player one I haven't, but I've heard all this stuff about that. No, like it's you, like your body is in a room, but like your mind is in an avatar in a world. Why would we do that? I saw that episode of Black Mirror. Why exactly? Why would we do that? Mm -hmm. Like what? What are all of us collectively thinking? Do we just go to Mark Zuckerberg's house and destroy him now? Because what the fuck? Like we can't let that happen. Sorry, he tangent. owns like everything. He not if you kill him, don't kill him. Don't That's kill him. Don't, we do That's not. Terrible. We do I not don't condone murder. 
But also, I kind of think he's a robot. You can just unplug him. But obviously, someone had to program that. Anyway. Huge shout out to The Real Lydia Bennett by Emma McGrory. That really articulated so well the ways in which I saw Lydia Bennett be on the page. Again, it's so easy for readers to dismiss her as silly and frivolous, as it says in the novel or as it Mm -hmm. says in the Cliff Notes version. But if you check out this essay, The Real Lydia Bennett, she really does a good job of of running through why, you know, there's more to Lydia than just that. Mm -hmm. And also Jane Austen's most widely mocked character is also her most subversive. Mm -hmm. That's another article that I checked out. And it's actually about Mrs. Bennett. Oh. Yeah. Which I found really fascinating. And it helped me sympathize with how Mrs. Bennett was written a bit more. Um, but it also has some really good takes on Lydia because of the similarities between the characters and the closeness of that mother-daughter relationship. So what did you think? Have you read or watched Pride and Prejudice? What are your thoughts on Lydia Bennett? Share your ideas with us. Where Are there other fictional women you think we should cover? Follow the podcast on Twitter at BigRepPod and Instagram at BigReputationsPod. Send us a message or email us at BigReputationsPod at gmail.com. We'd love to include your thoughts in a future episode. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, your five sisters, your avatars. (laughs) Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. I'll share it with all seven of my sisters. Ooh, Share it with your brothers, too. Maybe. Remember that we have merch. Woohoo! The holidays are coming. Yes. Our wonderful logo designer, Samantha Wallace, has agreed to put the logo up on her Redbubble account so you can order a variety of items from stickers to t-shirts to mugs and more. You could even get a shower curtain with our faces on it. Ooh. That Big sounds... reputation shower curtain. That sounds delightful. Yeah. It's so funny when I did, um, why do we read this? The logo for that is just my face. Mm-hmm. I joked about getting a shower curtain like that and yeah. having you come over and be freaked out. <laughs> that my face was everywhere. I, came, yeah. I was like, Sean, come on. You know you want to like take a shower where my face is like all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> anyway, check out the link in our show notes um, and definitely make some orders for the holidays. So let's wrap up our second fictional episode. You got a quote for us this week? I do. It's very simple. Don't judge a book by its cover good choice. And as always, believe women. <laughs>